I'll never forget, all of a sudden the fish just start jumping like crazy and here comes this shark. And there happened to be an oyster reef uh, that was just barely underwater, a couple inches underwater at the top of the oyster reef. And this shark basically chases the fish up on the oyster reef and the shark lands on top of the oyster reef. So it's out of the water, just looking at us. And it rolls off, like kind of like Jaws. And so now the shark's back in the water and it's moving towards our left. And I'm looking at the dorsal fin and the tail fin and they're four or five feet apart. So it's a big, it's a big animal, I remember that. And this thing slowly starts turning towards us and right at the moment where the dorsal and the tail fin get lined up so that it's pointing at us, they disappear under the water. And of course there's just like nothing, it's just glass. We just stood there for like 20 or 30 seconds. And it may have been three seconds, but it felt like 30 seconds. And neither one of us said a word. Um, we just sat there and stared. Welcome to Well Said, the official podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Summer here in North Carolina is hot. So of course, many of us head out to the beach. The North Carolina coast is home to many popular destinations, like the Outer Banks and Carolina Beach. It's also home to UNC Chapel Hill's Institute of Marine Sciences, which we call IMS. Joel Fadry, he's the one who just calmly recounted coming very close to a shark, is an associate professor in the Marine Sciences program at IMS. We asked him about the other visitors to Carolina's beaches, sharks. Sharks are, like most other fishes, they're invisible to us because we can't see through the water, and they move all the time. So a common expression is that studying fish is like studying trees, except the fish are invisible and they move. Joel has been studying invisible moving trees for the last 10 years in Moorhead, North Carolina, with the IMS team. The researchers have been running an ongoing shark survey of the coast of North Carolina. It began in the 1970s to better understand these underwater tourists and how the populations are changing over time. They analyze which types of sharks are coming to the coast every other week during the spring, summer, and fall, and have discovered some interesting trends. It turns out that the shores of North Carolina aren't just a popular place for humans. They're the must-visit spot for many species of sharks. We've got warm water coming up from the south, the Gulf Stream. We've got cool water coming from the north, the Labrador Current. So this is an area of change in terms of faunal communities already. We also have a diversity of habitats. North Carolina has more of what's called seagrass. Um, so not the marshy stuff that you can see above the water at the water's edge, but actually underwater we have seagrass. We have more seagrass than all the other East Coast states combined except for Florida, and Florida has a tremendous amount of seagrass too. Um, but because of all this great habitat and because of um, maybe being at this transition zone, we have over 50 different species of sharks that are known to, to visit North Carolina waters. So if all those sharks do the same exact thing, if they're here at the same time, if they use the same habitats, if they eat the same stuff, um, we would expect them to compete a lot more and perhaps to have a, a lower diversity of shark species because they can't all do the same thing and all prosper. So trying to, to understand better, are they eating different things? Are they using different habitats? Are they here at slightly different times? 
uh, could help us understand why there are so many different species of sharks. So if you happen to be starting a new travel agency business for sharks, suggest the North Carolina coast. Sharks visit all year long. Part of it is that we we do sit at this place where in the summertime we get visited uh, by species that spend their winter to the south of us. So we have species like spinner sharks or black tips. In the winter, they might be in Florida or even farther south, and we see them in the summer. In the wintertime, we have species that have spent their summer to our north. So in the wintertime, we are seeing spiny dogfish, smooth dogfish. Um, some of the great whites that we see, you know, they might prefer to spend the, the dead of summer to our north where the water's cooler. And so they might be here in the fall, uh, in the spring, or even in the winter. And we have a few other species that appear to sort of just pass us by in the spring and then the late summer or fall. So they're just sort of transitioning through on their way up farther north up the coast. Uh, and then we see them again as they're traveling back south in the fall. So we are this sort of, you know, this area of transition, which means that we can sort of see all these different species throughout the year. They may not all be here at the same time. And then we're also just a place that does have a tremendous amount of coastal resources. You know, we have these large sounds, Albemarle Sound, Pamlico Sound, um, Core Sound, Back Sound, Bogue Sound, all the way down to Wilmington, we have these sounds. So we just have a lot of coastal habitat. Um, and I think those two factors are primarily what allow us to support all these different species. As you're thinking about sharks in the ocean, have you been thinking about the movie Jaws? Are you picturing a big, aggressive ocean dweller who is looking for two legs kicking underwater to take a bite out of just for fun? You shouldn't be surprised that the movie doesn't paint an entirely accurate picture of most sharks' personalities. Since I don't know everything I'd want to know about sharks, I'll never probably fully understand what drives them. But I can certainly tell you that based on my experience, sharks are trying to do three things most of the time. They're trying to find food. They're trying to find a mate at some point. And then they spend almost all the rest of their time trying to avoid risk. They strike me as really risk-adverse animals. Um, a lot of their behavioral adaptations, a lot of even their physical adaptations are designed to avoid injury. Um, when they go in to, to bite a larger fish or some other animal, those animals can fight back. And so sharks, I've learned over time, have these behaviors or these physical adaptations that um, reduce their own chances of being injured, whether it be poked in the eye or cut, et cetera, et cetera. So many movies also give sharks the power of super scent, as though a paper cut you have on your finger can suddenly alert hundreds of sharks to their next meal. And while Joel says that yes, they actually can smell blood in the water, finding lunch is a lot more than that. Sharks are certainly highly evolved. So they are able to sense blood of an injured animal in the water at a greater distance than, say, you or I could ever dream of. They're able to perceive electrical fields. Injured animals often put out an electric field that's different than a healthy animal. Sharks have the ability to uh, sense that. In some cases, they're able to hear the sound waves that an injured animal is producing that propagate through the water. 
many sharks have great vision, particularly vision at low light levels. So they are highly evolved and they're able to sense a great number of things. If, if anything, I think that tends to produce a safer environment for humans because, you know, 99.99999 carry the decimal many places percent of the time. Sharks are able to detect those cues, and when it's a human involved, the cues don't line up in a way that the shark perceives, this is an advantageous situation for me. So even though sharks are cast as big, mean villains in movies and in the heads of beachgoers, it turns out they're not really interested in humans. We're different than what they normally eat. We're big, and we're not putting out the cues that match what they're looking for. I've noted this year, maybe more than any other year, there's been these photos from drones looking down and there are people in the water and then you see the sharks, you know, within 10 yards, 20 yards. And people in some cases are commenting, you know, this is why I won't go in the water. And, and I get that. But at the same time, what I would note is none of those instances result in a, a bite. In fact, as I watch the video, at some point what I usually see is the sharks kind of like wigging out and trying to maybe get out of dodge because I think sharks are probably very wary of humans most of the time when they're able to detect enough of those cues that they're looking for for what's advantageous for them versus what's maybe risky for them. So over the last 80 years, North Carolina has had roughly, this isn't, this isn't the exact number, but ballpark, it's had 80 attacks, recorded attacks. So over the last eight decades, that's one attack a year. And that's obviously, well, to me, it's a very low number. Over the last decade, I think if you average it out, it would average out to about three um, bites a year. So I suppose in some ways that is an increase. It's a, it's a threefold change. Um, to me, all those numbers are incredibly low. When you talk about, again, how many people are in the water each year, how many opportunities there are for humans and sharks to come into contact, it, it just, it just, it blows my mind that it's only three. So numerically, I would say there's, there's been an increase maybe in the raw number of these encounters, but whether or not that reflects anything about the sharks or just the change in how many people are in the water, those are numbers that are hard to actually put together, but I think would be really interesting. And so you're talking about, you know, the per capita encounter rate. Has that really changed? And I suspect not enough to, to say that you'd want to say it's a trend of any type. Basically, sharks are just trying to look out for themselves. They don't want to get in a fight with an unknown species that's come into its habitat. And even though Joel has been face-to-face -face with hundreds of sharks, he understands why so many of us might fear the ocean this summer. I mean, I get the fear of sharks. They're big, powerful, at times, toothy animals. When we bring them up on a boat, we have to be careful. They're obviously under duress. We're freaking them out. We have to be very mindful of, of their mouth and all those sharp teeth. And what I have said is that I, people are afraid of sharks because of the stakes. The stakes can be high. Um, we don't want to make light of the fact that when someone gets bit, it, it certainly ruins their day and it can really change their lives. And in the rare occasion, it ends lives. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. And so I think people respond to sharks because of the stakes. If people were to focus on the odds, they would be much, much, much less afraid of sharks. You know, the, 
the stakes are high when you're talking about a shark attack or bite, um, but the odds are incredibly low. Joel doesn't have any fail-safe words of wisdom that can completely protect us from a shark encounter, but he does have a couple suggestions to keep in mind when you head to the beach. You certainly don't want to be swimming at 6 a.m. or 8 p.m. as it's starting to get dawn or dusk because we know sharks are more active during that period of time looking for food. It does make sense to, to swim in groups. Uh, don't be out there by yourself just because if something bad happens, you know, you're on your own. And also, again, with sharks being wary, um, the more that you're in a group, the more opportunity I think there is for sharks to sort of be intimidated by all the commotion. And so there's just, these things are so rare. It, it'd be like me trying to tell you how to, how to win the lottery, but in a bad way, you know, what's, What's the strategy for winning a lottery? And I'm sure people that do that, they have something that maybe shifts the odds ever so slightly in their favor. And so, yeah, you can you can do the things that help shift your odds ever so slightly in your favor. Uh, if you see a lot of foraging activity at the beach, if you see little fishes jumping, if you see dolphins, you know, don't think the dolphins are going to scare away the sharks. You know, be aware that the dolphins and the sharks are probably trying to eat the same type of thing. And so they're probably all in there amongst each other trying to forage. So if you see all that activity, you know, maybe get out of the water for a while. If you see a couple sharks in the water, you know, be aware they're around and maybe take a break and get out of the water for a while. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said. You can visit IMS's website, ims.unc.edu to learn more about the shark study as well as other research happening in Moorhead City, North Carolina. And before we let Joel travel back to the coast, we had to ask about two well-known shark movies. Jaws is a great movie. <laughs> and I've, I've always been struck by some of the cinematography. There's a scene where Quint is at the front of the boat and the sun's kind of behind him and it's sort of a silhouette. And sometimes I just close my eyes and I picture that and just think, great filmmaking. But as a, as a scientific lesson, it, it does leave a lot to be desired, yeah. Finding Nemo is a great movie. Um, and obviously they, they, they take some leaps there as well, but they're good leaps. I think the sharks, one of the sharks' name in that is Bruce, and it's the fish are friends, not food. Well, nah. Fish are food for sharks. So they, they made those sharks maybe a little too cuddly. I think that uh, Finding Nemo gets two thumbs up. I think Jaws gets two thumbs up, but in the case of Jaws, I guess I'm a little less impressed by some of the scientific merit than I think, I think Finding Nemo did it pretty well. Not, not, not that I believe all of it. Uh, I don't think pelicans usually fly into dentist offices because they're trying to save the fish in the aquarium. But still, I mean, hey, for a movie, uh, they did well. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Send us a tweet at UNC or shoot us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu. Well Said can be found wherever you get your podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.